0: sounded really great singing today. Isn't it great to have a full building and just to praise God like that? Thanks for joining in and being such good worshipers. You know, this last week we had a, a new king in England, a new uh, prime minister there, and, and a lot of us are like, so, kind of so what, right? You know, because we don't live in England anymore. We were talking about that a little bit later. But, but one of the really great prime ministers in the history of, of England was a lady named Margaret Thatcher. And Margaret Thatcher once said this about the Good Samaritan. She said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. And I suppose that's true to some extent, right? But, but it's not just the fact that he had money. It's what he did with that money that makes him a memorable character in the Scriptures. And so this morning, as we continue through James, we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to talk about the fact that if I want to be more like Jesus, that good intentions are not enough. Now, I I really believe that all of you came here this morning with good intentions. You came here because you wanted to worship Jesus. You came here because you wanted to praise His name and sing together. You came here because you wanted to hear His Word, and you wanted to, to apply it to your life. But the real test of whether or not you really worship this morning, you won't know that this morning. You'll know it in the days and the weeks and maybe even months and years to come because it'll really depend on on whether those good intentions actually are turned into action because that's what we really have to do if we're going to worship God. And so today we're going to continue this this study that we've been going through in the book of James that we've been calling Faith Works. And James, I I love the book of James. It's so practical, isn't it? I mean, already in the first chapter, look what we've learned. We've learned how to deal with the trials in our lives. And then last week we talked about how to triumph over the temptations that come into our lives. Those are really practical things. And as a matter of fact, they're going to be really important this morning as we continue in our study of James, because that's going to be the context that's going to kind of help us to understand the passage that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week, begin reading in verse 19, and you can go ahead and uh, follow along as I do that, or the verses will be up on the screen as well. Know this, my beloved brothers. to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, one of the the, the dangers of any Bible passage, but I think especially this one that we're looking at this morning, is that we we can take it outside of the context and we could come up with conclusions that, while they might even be true in some cases, aren't really consistent with the passage. And let me illustrate how we could do that with this passage right here. I want you to look again in verse 19. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with this verse. And I want you to tell me, if you just took that verse by itself, what, what conclusion could you draw from that? What's the lesson? You've probably even heard this one before, maybe even in church. What would, be, what would you draw out of that verse? Verse 19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. I think I heard someone. Probably you've heard something like this, right? You should listen, how often? Twice as often as you speak, right? Because God gave you two ears and one mouth. Now that's a true statement. God did give you two ears and one mouth. And that might even be good advice. Matter of fact, it probably is good advice a lot of the time, right? But that is not what this passage is teaching here. And I'll I'll illustrate why that is. What I want to do is to take you through a number of passages, and, and there's a constant theme that flows throughout this passage. As a matter of fact, it begins in verse 18 that we looked at last week, and it goes all the way through here. So I'm just going to read through these, and I'm going to try to kind of help you see if you can figure out what the theme is here. So let's look first at James chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creature. Next verse, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Next one, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23. If for anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And then finally, this one. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. So, so if if we took all those, they go all the way through the passage, what would you say is the overall theme that James is writing about here? Yeah, the Word of God, right? He calls it the law of liberty, the law that his Jewish listeners, readers, they would have understood that to, to refer to the Scripture. So, so what we have to keep in mind here is that this entire passage is dealing with how do we approach the Word of God. It's not just talking about listening and hearing in a vacuum. It's talking about how we, how we hear the Word of God, how we listen to it, and how we speak it. And so that's the overall thing, and we need to keep that in mind. The other thing to keep in mind, and, and we haven't really hit on this so far, is the book of James has a really interesting structure to it. When James goes through, in each section, he has like what I would call a, a main command and then surrounding that main command might be some other commands as well as some other instruction about how to, how to actually fulfill that command. And in Greek, it's really easy to see those, those commands. In English, it's not quite as easy, but we can still pick them out. And we've seen two of those already. The first one was in that first section, was in, chap, in uh, verse 2, the first command was to count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. And then the whole section that surrounds that, it gives us some more information on how we're to do that. How do you count it joy? Then last week, the main command that we found was in verse 16. It says, do not be deceived. And the entire section around that dealt with this whole idea, how do we make sure that we're not deceived by temptation so that we fall into sin? When we get to this section that we're looking at today, the main main command that we find here is this. Receive the implanted word. That's the main command. And everything around it now is going to describe how do we receive the implanted word. How do we take it into our lives and make sure that it, that, that it results in more than just good intentions in our life. And since that's the main command, I, I want to talk for a minute about this verb receive. Now, in Greek, there's two different words that could be translated receive. We've already seen the first one. We saw it in the first part of the chapter in verse 7 and in verse 12 where it talked about a double-minded man. It says he won't receive anything, or it talked about in verse 12 about receiving the crown of life. And the Greek word there is the Greek word lumbano, and it means to take or to obtain for oneself. If you were to go after church today and you were to go to the McDonald's drive-in or drive through and you go through there and you order your food and you go out to the window, you would lombano your Big Mac when you got to the window. You would receive it. The second word, that's not the one that's used. The one that's used here in this command to receive the implanted word, it's the word decome. And it means something a little different. It means to receive favorably or actually it means to kind of welcome it. Into your life, and this is really the key, I think, to understanding because it's more than just taking it in. It has to be done in a way in which we really welcome it in, that we want it into our lives, we want it to impact our lives, we want it to be more than just something that that gives us good intentions, but that allows us to follow through. And so that's why we said this morning that if I want to be more like Jesus. Good intentions are just not enough. We have to take it further than that. And fortunately, here, James gives us some instructions about how we can do that. How can we take the Word of God and and turn our good intentions into action? And so that's what we want to determine this morning. How do we do that? How do I do that in my life? How do I make sure... That, that I don't just come here to church every week with good intentions, that I don't just live my life with good intentions, but that I actually turn that into action. Because that's the only way that I'm going to become more like Jesus. And I think we all want to do that, right? So the first thing we have to do is we have to be eager. We have to be eager. And you notice what he says here, that we're to be quick to hear. And we've talked about this, this uh verb to hear before, it means more than just to have it go in one ear and out the other. It means that we're actually listening with the, with the intent of trying to put into practice the things that we're hearing in our lives. Now, in, in James' day, obviously not everyone had a Bible that they carried around with them. So what did they have to do? If they wanted to take the Word of God into their lives, they had to go to the synagogue, to go somewhere else where someone would be expounding upon the word and what he's saying here is that we need we can take it in a lot of ways today but we need to have the, an eagerness to do that we have to have a real desire to do that and we have to do that both personally and we do it corporately i mean today right now you're taking in the word of god hopefully you're being quick to hear and you're being eager to understand this word so that you can take and, uh, and apply it into your lives. But you need to also do that on your own, which is why we're always talking about the importance of making sure that we're, we're in the Scripture. So you have to be, you have to be quick to hear. You, you need to be eager to take that in. It has to be a desire of your heart. The second thing we need to do, and, and this is where I'm going to really spend the bulk of my time because I think it's the most important principle, is that we need to be humble. And he talks about this in a number of different ways here. He says, first of all, that you need to be slow to speak. Remember, we saw that a moment ago, and as we said, this deals with the Word of God. He's not saying here, just keep your mouth shut. What he's saying is you need to be slow to speak when it comes to the Word of God. And I think what he's doing here is he's setting the stage for something else that he's going to write a little bit later on when we get to James chapter 3. And he's going to give a real sobering command there for those of us who teach God's Word. He writes this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Here's what I think he's saying when he says that we need to be slow to speak. He's saying you need to be careful about going around and trying to apply God's Word, speaking God's Word out into the lives of other people until you first apply it in your own life. That's a real sobering warning to me, and that's something that I try to do. And I've shared with you before, I mean, I don't know how many weeks where God's going to test me in that. He wants to see if I'm going to really apply what I'm going to come here and preach on Sunday morning. It's always my goal to do that. Now, I don't do that perfectly, not by any means. And when I don't, I have, to, I have to repent, I have to confess that to God. But that ought to be our desire is that, that before we go out telling someone else how to apply the Word of God in their lives, we need to be applying it in our own lives. If you're a part of our church Bible reading plan, this week you read a passage from Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus is basically saying the same thing to the Pharisees here. It says this, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. I think that's what he's saying here. Be careful, be careful about going out and speaking God's word into someone else's life before you've applied it in your own life. And, and we see that principle all over the Scriptures, don't we? Again, it comes to mind where Jesus talks about, take the plank out of your own eye before you go looking for the speck in someone else's eye. It's a principle we find there. So, so you need to be really careful about that. The next thing we see here is this command he says to be slow to anger. And the anger he's talking about here is, the, is not just like a, a temperer, that you just kind of go off on the moment, it's this deep resentment. And I think what he's saying here is that there are some people, when God's Word comes into their life and it begins to expose things in their life that don't match up with with who God wants them to be, what do they do? They get really resentful about God's Word, right? We see this all throughout the Scriptures, I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus comes into the life of people, and he begins to point out their sin in their life. He begins to take the word of God and apply it to their lives. And what do they do? They end up crucifying him on a cross. And the same thing really happens all throughout the Old Testament with the prophets and the New Testament with the apostles when they they bring the word of God into someone's life and they shine the light of God's word on them, sometimes people get resentful for that. And that's what he's talking about. Don't be resentful like that. I think we've been really fortunate here at Thornydale Family Church, but there have been a few times over the year, not many, where when when the Word of God was preached and it shined a light into people's lives, that they got resentful over that. And they actually left the church. I'm reminded here, and I'm going to be paraphrasing because I don't have the exact verse, but, but in Galatians chapter 6, Paul wrote something like this. He says, so by preaching the truth, you consider me your enemy? And that's sometimes, I think, how we feel, right, about the Word of God. It shines a light into our lives, and, and now the Word of God becomes our enemy. It's something that we get angry over. We have that deep resentment, so we have to be careful about that. And then he says to receive the implanted word, and, but there's a qualifier there. He says to do it with meekness, with meekness. And in our culture, we, we tend to equate, I think, meekness with weakness, right? They even rhyme. But that's not what meekness is at all. Meekness is this idea of, of power under control. In Greek literature, it was used to describe a, a horse, that had been tamed and was controlled by the rider so that that horse is not weak at all it 's powerful but it's it's under control and when we receive the word with meekness what we 're doing is we're saying you know what i 'm going to submit my life to god 's word regardless of what it says about my life and i 'm going to try to do my very best to apply what I find there and to actually put it into action Well, this whole idea we need to to approach his word with humility. And closely related to that is this next idea that I need to be teachable, that I need to be teachable. It's really interesting. In a minute, we're going to come back to the illustration that James uses here, this, this illustration of these two people that look in the mirror, the one that comes and looks and goes away and doesn't do anything about what he sees, and the other that comes and looks and actually takes action, And what's really interesting is that he actually uses two different words here for look. For the the one that's a hearer of the word only, it basically says he comes in and kind of just glances in the mirror and goes away and doesn't change anything. But to the one who's a doer of the word, the word he uses there, it's a word that that literally means to stoop over. And the idea is that you want to really examine Examine something very closely. You want to get up real close to it so you can see what it really is. It means to examine with care and with precision. And that's what he's saying, that those those who come to God's Word and are teachable, they want to look into it so deeply because they want to really understand what the Scriptures have to say there. And in order to do that, it means sometimes that we have to let go of some of the preconceived ideas that we have about Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stick to our convictions. I'm not saying that at all. But, but what I've learned over the years is that there are some of these areas in the Scripture that are, there, there's some mystery around them and stuff, and, and I need to be really careful about being dogmatic and saying, yep, I know exactly what this says. Nobody else could possibly be right about what this says. From time to time, I go back and, and look at some of my own sermons from like 10 years ago, and I'm like, did I really teach that? Now, I'm pretty sure, I, as far as I know, there, I've never taught anything that's blasphemy. I don't think I've violated the basic principles of the gospel in any way. But you know what, there's some things that I've changed my opinions on over the years. I listen to other people and their ideas, ideas that are different than mine. Read different commentators, study it again from maybe a different perspective. And I might come to a different conclusion if I have this teachable spirit. And I think that's a really healthy way to come to the Scriptures. Not Not to have this idea that we have everything all figured out. And finally, I need to also be cleansed. need to be cleansed. You know, if I'm going to have somebody over to my house, what do I do before they come over? I, I clean my house up. I don't want them to come to a dirty house. And if I want to invite Jesus to come into my life and to speak into my life through his word, I need to also clean my life up once in a while, don't I? I need to do that. And he talks about that in a couple of places. The first place here is in in verse 21, where he says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So he says to put away. It's this picture of taking off your clothes. You need to take off two things he talks about here. He says first one is filthiness. This is a really interesting word. It's a, a medical term that talks about having wax in your ear. And isn't that an appropriate thing? Because don't we spiritually sometimes have wax in our ear, right? And we don't we don't hear the word of God. There's things in our life that keep us from hearing God speak through his word. And sometimes we have to just we have to get rid of those things so that we can we can allow God's word to speak to us. So he says, get rid of filthiness and get rid of rampant wickedness. And this is another case where James, as as a Hebrew writer, he's He's using parallelism. And so filthiness and, and wickedness, they go, kind of go hand in hand. They're just like different sides of the same coin. And the word for wickedness here is it's this old overall attitude of, of hatefulness and malice that we have towards other people. And so he says you've got to get rid of that stuff. Get rid of the filthiness because otherwise you're not going to be able to hear God's word. And, and if you can't hear God's word, you sure can't put it into practice in your life. The other place we see this is um in the next verse that's going to go up here at the end of the kind of the end of this passage here, he talks about the other reason. When he talks about religion, he says here's he says this religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit or orphans and widows in their affliction. But here's the part I want you to focus on. And what? And to keep oneself unstained from the world. What he's saying here is he's saying we live in a world that, that's full of sin, and when, when we're around other people, that we can get stained with that sin if we're not careful. Now, that doesn't mean we leave, leave the world. I think this, that what he's really saying here, maybe he's thinking back to the whole idea uh, uh, of what Jesus said when he said that he wants us to be in the world but not of the world. We're in the world, but we don't want to be stained by that. Now, invariably, because we're human beings, we're going to get stained sometimes. Sometimes we're going to get filthiness and wickedness in our life. And the way that we get rid of those, the way we cleanse our house so that God's Word can speak to us is through confession and repentance. I confess, I agree with God that what I've done, that it's sin, that it's not a mistake. It's not a lapse in judgment. It's sin. That's what confess means. I agree with God. And then the second thing is I repent. I repent. I turn around, I make a U-turn, I make sure I put things into practice in my life so that I don't allow that to become a lifestyle, and so I have to be cleansed, and all those steps really lead to the last thing, and and I'm going to be really brief here, is that we just, we have to be a doer, we have to be a doer, and so he uses the illustration here of a mirror, thinking about this this morning, I, I get up, and I make breakfast, and I shower, and I go, and I look in the mirror, and I say, Pat, you got a little stubble on your, on your cheeks there. You probably ought to go ahead and shave that. Well, if I have just walked away and not done anything about it, then I'd have come in here with stubble on my cheeks this morning. And he's saying that's, that's really pretty silly, isn't it? When we look in a mirror, we see something that we need to fix. If we go away without doing it, he says that, that that's not right. What we have to do is to be a doer. So what do I do? I get out my shaving cream and I get out my razor and I actually do something about that. And that's really the whole idea. When it gets to the end of the day, when you do all these other things, when it comes right down to it, you have to actually do something about what God has revealed into your life. You see, if, I, if you want to become like Jesus, good intentions, they're just not enough. We have to actually take God's Word and we have to do something with it. That's why every week, every single week, Ryan and I, we try, to, we try to make sure that there's some really practical applications for you to take out of the message each week, something that you can apply to your life, something that you can do. And today, obviously, isn't going to be any different. As a matter of fact, what I want to do here in just a moment is I want to give you a little bit of time. I've kind of cut short a little bit to give you some time to do some things because I want to make sure that you actually do something about what you've heard today. So here's what I'm I'm going to give you time to do in just a minute. I want you to do three things. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, God, how do you want me to apply this passage in my life personally? And then after you've prayed that, I want you to read back through this passage again, maybe even a couple of times. I'll give you time to do that. And as you do that, I'm pretty sure God will answer the first prayer. He's going to show you, here's something I want you to do in your life. And then the third thing, and this is the really important part, I want you to write down one specific thing that you're going to do. It would be different for every single one of us. I'm not even going to make any suggestions because I believe God will put that on your heart. So everyone understand what we're going to do, right? So go ahead, take a few moments just to, to pray, to read, to... Um, write down something Father, this morning, I want to thank you for your word. Father, every week when we open your word, you have something to to speak to us, but I'm just sensing this morning that this passage is just particularly relevant to all of us who are here today. Father, it's so easy to have good intentions, good intentions about reading our Bible, about praying, about serving the needs of other people about being generous father whatever it might be that it's so easy to have good intentions but father to be honest sometimes it's really hard to to follow through with those things hard for all of us hard for me father to do that and so I pray you would speak to each heart today that for each person you'd show them something very real and practical and specific and concrete that they can do to apply this passage today. And that in doing that, Father, that they would complete the worship that began when they walked through these doors this morning. Father, help all of us to be able to follow through what we've committed to do. We can't always do that on our own. We need your help. So We just ask you to help us to do that. And Father, when that happens, we pray that you would be the one who would get all the glory in honor and praise. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.